We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Go episode 361 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Monday, July 25th, 2022. It is the week in which the commanders will begin training camp. The offseason for the NFL team based in Washington, D.C., although the team's headquarters are in Virginia and the team's home games are played in Maryland, but that's another conversation. But that team's offseason is ending. The Commanders on Wednesday will begin their 2022 training camp. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show that is with you with a new episode every weekday, Monday through Friday, out by the 5 a.m. hour and often much earlier. Now, last week I did only do three episodes because it was a vacation week, but this week we are back on our normal schedule. The routine has been restored Monday through Friday as this week we have the start of Commander's Training Camp. And so I, on this show, for you, have a special guest uh, with whom I will go in-depth on the Commander's, Kevin Sheehan, uh, the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. He's a good friend. He's a smart guy. Uh, We will discuss many things regarding our football team, including optimism. Yes, optimism for the upcoming season. Uh, Whether this upcoming season is a make-or-break season for head coach Rod Rivera, uh, how Kevin now feels about the trade for quarterback Carson Wentz, uh, why the commanders internally are optimistic about their offense, uh, whether there is any realistic chance that Dan Snyder will end up being ousted as owner, and a lot more. Kevin Sheehan coming up on the show next segment. Uh, Also on the show, I have a lot for you on the Nationals, who do still have right fielder Juan Soto on the team. Uh, No, he has not been traded. Uh, Not yet, anyway. Uh, We, on Saturday, had reporting from perhaps the number one national MLB insider, Kent Rosenthal of Fox Sports and The Athletic, on how the Nats are handling the Juan Soto trade talks. I want to get into that. Also, hey, the Nats did win a game over the weekend. Uh, the Nats won on Sunday. It is not often that we have said that lately, that the Nats uh, won a game, but the Nats on Sunday won 
Uh, one for just the third time in 20 games. So the Nats over the weekend lost two or three games at the Arizona Diamondbacks. We'll give you my thoughts on the series, including the clowning by Nats center fielder Victor Robles on Diamondback starting pitcher Madison Bumgarner. You know, as if there wasn't enough going on with the Nats, we now have this Victor Robles, Madison Bumgarner clown feud, uh, which sparked support for Robles from none other than LeBron James of the Los Angeles Lakers. Yes, Bron Bron has spoken on this. Uh, LeBron James on his Instagram story on Sunday evening shared the story of Robles on Sunday wearing a clown nose in the Nats dugout and wrote, quote, something I would do for sure, end quote. Uh, Robles then shared that on his Instagram story and wrote, quote, King James said it, say no more, end quote. So there you go. Bron Bron is on Team Robles, which, by the way, is the right team. Uh, Bumgarner way overreacted on Saturday night. I'll explain everything later in the show. And I'll talk Orioles later in the show. Uh, the O's of the weekend lost two or three games against the major league-leading New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. I think Aaron Judge just homered again. Uh, the O's of the weekend got victimized by Yankees outfielder Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge did things to Orioles pitching that were unholy and impure. Uh, that was quite a performance by Judge in that series. But, you know, the O's did battle in the series. We did have multiple Orioles players who had good series, including catcher Adley Rutschman, who in this month of July is on quite the tear. So lots of O's talk later in the show. Hey, good to see that the XFL is coming back to Washington, D.C. Now, how long the XFL will last for, who the heck knows? Uh, this will be the third incarnation of the XFL. Uh, this is the Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. the Rock Run XFL. Uh, this third incarnation of the XFL will launch in February 2023, but the XFL on Sunday night announced the eight cities that will have XFL teams. Among those cities, Washington, D.C. Uh, the team will play its home games at Audi Field. And guess who the team's defensive coordinator is? None other than former Redskins defensive boss, Greg Williams. Yeah, Greg Double G Williams is back coaching defense in D.C. Uh, Greg Williams officially was the Redskins assistant head coach in charge of defense for four seasons, 2004 through 2007. He technically was not the Redskins defensive coordinator, even though he often is referred to as having been the Skins defensive coordinator. Greg Blosh, uh, was the Skins defensive coordinator during those seasons, but those were Greg Williams's defenses. And in three of his four seasons with the Redskins, he presided over terrific defenses. The Skins 2004, 2005, and 2007 defenses were all quite good. Uh, each defense finished its regular season at top 10 in the NFL in total defense for Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Those defenses were not perfect. Like, those defenses uh, were not playmaking defenses. But if you're wondering, when's the last time we had anything close to a sustained run of really good defense by the team that we now call the Commanders? Uh, the answer is 
Greg Williams' time with the Skins, 2004 through 2007. His 2006 defense was really bad. That is true. But the 04, 05, and 07 defenses uh, were good. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tweet from Mind After Math PhD on Commander's Team President Jason Wright uh, off my conversation with Tom Lavero, columnist for the Washington Times on last Monday's show, episode 358. Uh, we talked Jason Wright and a lot more. Wright's Mind Aftermath PhD. Your conversation about Wright got me thinking, what if this is an inside job? It's not adding up that someone with this resume would be making these kinds of mistakes, but we think that he was a league higher, not a Dan higher. Uh, th- <laughs> thank you for that Mind Aftermath PhD. I had not considered that theory. An inside job. Sabotage. That explains why Jason Wright has been so bad or at the very least has presided over so many mistakes slash messes slash things that just boggle the mind. The theory of an inside job of sabotage uh, now has been proposed. Well, uh, I tell you what, you never say never, uh, but do I think that Jason Wright is orchestrating these mistakes on purpose? No, I do not. Uh, And as I have said, who knows what Jason has had to deal with behind the scenes uh, with his boss, our commander's co-owner and co-CEO, Dan Snyder. But no doubt, the list of messes on the business operations side of the franchise since it hired Jason as team president in August 2020 is way too long. Okay, I mean, at this point, we can all recite these messes uh, without looking at any notes or anything like that. The retirement of Sean Taylor's number 21, the rollout of the new name, the crest, uh, now commandlegacy.com. Very disappointing. Each one of those things, highly disappointing and totally avoidable, uh, though not surprising, right? I mean, was anyone stunned by any of those messes that I just listed? And all of these messes have been under the purview of of Jason Wright. Now, he may not be totally to blame for all of the messes, but there's no way that you should just, like, absolve him of all of the messes. Email from Connor Davis uh, on my recent conversation with NFL analytics pioneer Warren Sharp of sharpfootballanalysis.com and sharpfootballstats.com on the Commanders. Uh, Warren was with me on episode 357. Uh, Definitely check that out if you haven't yet done so. Writes Connor, Warren was awesome, but he crushed my hope for this season. Like many fans this time of year, I started to buy into the narrative of maybe Carson Wentz can return to being an elite quarterback. The defense will tee off on an easier schedule, and our front office is competent and smart. However, the points that Warren made are very concerning. I think that the biggest revelation was our false confidence in this offensive line. Our line has looked a lot better than it is due to quick and short throws. That makes sense with the carousel of quarterbacks who Scott Turner has had to work with over the last few years. So then we go out and get a quarterback who notoriously hangs on to balls for too long and isn't very accurate. I don't know about you, but that sounds like a recipe for disaster and disappointment. You can't take advantage of our speedy receivers if the quarterback doesn't have enough time to throw. The other concern that I have is this defensive line in which we have invested so much. I think that the D-line is the most overrated group in all of the NFL. I am so tired of seeing the names of these players and all of the first round picks at the beginnings of games only for them to get dominated and fail to live up 
to expectations. There have been so few games that the D-line has actually won for us. That's the whole point of an investment like this, to have such a dominant line that it makes your entire team better. This hasn't been the case. Lastly, this entire front office continues to embarrass us. The greatest 90 list was a joke, and all the errors on the website continue to anger the fan base. I wish I could turn to another team and feel as passionate as I do with this one, but I can't. But every mistake and headline pushes me further away. I hope the team turns things around, but that seems so unlikely. <laughs> well, thank you for the email, Connor. Uh, not exactly a rosy picture painted by Connor, but he's not really wrong uh, with anything that he wrote. The concerns that Warren Sharp raised regarding the commander's offensive line in Carson Wentz are valid concerns. The question is this, is the commander's offensive line capable of sustaining blocks for longer than the line has been asked to sustain blocks for over the last two seasons. Like, has the offensive line been a total fraud? Has the offensive line achieved its impressive pro football focus and ESPN pass block and run block win rate metrics solely because of these short ADOTs? Uh, ADOT stands for average depth of target. Or has Washington's offensive line over the last two seasons maybe been helped out by the scheme of offensive coordinator Scott Turner, but also been legitimately good. And of course, each season's Washington offensive line is different in terms of personnel. So the comparison of season to season isn't apples to apples, but you get the idea. Uh, With the commander's defense, yeah. Uh, I last season came to the conclusion that the team has over-invested in the defensive line. Washington spent a first round pick on a defensive lineman in each of four consecutive NFL drafts. 2017, through 2020. That is an overinvestment. Even though each pick made sense at the time and each player taken with those picks is at least a good player, if not a great player. Like Jonathan Allen is legitimately a great player. Allen over the last two seasons has blossomed into being an elite interior defensive lineman. And I don't say that flippantly, but I do very much believe that. Jonathan Allen has blossomed into being an elite interior defensive lineman. But as I discussed with Warren Sharp in today's NFL, you really don't win with defense. You win with offense. The days of building up your defense to be great and having a defense lead the way to great success and banking on having an offense that just doesn't screw things up are over. And that's not to say that defense doesn't matter, because of course, defense does matter. And that's not to say that you don't want to have a great defense. But the truth is that defense in today's NFL is largely a function of the quarterbacks and offenses a defense faces. And a great example of this is the 2020 Washington football team defense versus the 2021 Washington football team defense. And so as Warren said, you really just want to avoid having a defense that's really bad. And so when it comes to roster construction, spending a first-round pick on a defensive lineman in each of four consecutive NFL drafts isn't the way to go. Even though, again, each pick made sense at the time, and each player taken with those picks is a good, if not great, player. But a defensive line can only impact a game so much in today's NFL with the nature of passing offense. Well, The nature of skin health is that it matters a lot. Certainly many of us are out in the sun a lot right now with it being the summer. And whatever your dermatological needs may be, know that Dr. George Verghese in the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland 
are there for you. Dr. Verghese is a board-certified dermatologist and Mohs surgeon. He is one of the nation's premier dermatologists. He is a big Commanders fan. He is a loyal listener of this podcast. And operating under his direction is the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. Uh, The institute focuses on medical skin care, cosmetic procedures, and skin cancer diagnosis and comprehensive care. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer treatments for conditions such as acne, psoriasis, and eczema. Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer state-of-the-art services such as Botox, laser hair removal, and chemical peels. Uh, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer advanced treatments for many skin cancers. Heck, Dr. George Verghese and the Mid-Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland offer free skin cancer screenings. Yeah, you heard that right, free. To find out more, call 301-396-3401. That's 301-396-3401. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. That phone number again, 301 396 3401. You can also visit midatlanticskin.com. That's midatlanticskin.com. For excellent and comprehensive skincare, contact Dr. George Verghese and the Mid Atlantic Skin Surgery Institute of Maryland. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, I do not take you listening for granted. I'm very appreciative of you listening. Uh, Ratings and reviews do help the podcast a lot. If you have never rated the podcast, please consider doing that. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, you can give the podcast a five-star rating, and you can write a review of the podcast if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. The review does not have to be long. It can be just a sentence or two saying, that you like the podcast, and thank you for doing the ratings and the reviews. 2022 Commanders Training Camp will begin on Wednesday. The team has had quite an offseason, and some of it has had to do with actual football, if you can believe that. Uh, one of my most favorite people to talk Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commanders with for years is the man who joins me now. He is the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. He is the host of the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980. He is Kevin Sheehan. Uh, who you can follow on Twitter at Kevin Sheehan DC. Kevin, Commander Kevin. Can I call you Commander Kevin? How are you? No, you cannot call me. You cannot call me Commander Kevin. It's hard for me to even say the name. Are we going to do Madden 23 ratings? Uh, no, I've gotten my fill oh. of those. Although the Carson Wentz rating was ridiculous, but no, unless unless you really want to, then we can. But yeah. I mean, you know, you're just looking for something to do. It's July 23rd, and that was kind of interesting. I mean, the 26th ranked quarterback <laughs> in the NFL. I mean, if this guy doesn't have have a whole set of like incentive, you know, stories, articles, sound bites to to drive him this year. I mean, he's got more than any does. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's no question about that. So I know that your enthusiasm for the team has declined quite a bit in recent years, but I also know that you're still a fan of the team and you want the team to do well. Uh, with the caveats of, hey, it's the NFL, anything can happen, and at the end of the day, we all know nothing. Uh, do you think that the commanders are going to do well this coming season with well meaning whatever you want it to mean? 
I think that I'm more optimistic about this year's team than last year's team um, because of, you know, and I think you and I talked about this a bunch a year ago, you know, this time last year, it's like, look at the quarterbacks just in the first, you know, eight games of the season. And, you know, the defense is going to be better, but it may not show statistically. And I felt good about them upgrading a quarterback with Ryan Fitzpatrick. But um, I do think that offensively, It'd be hard for them to be worse than they've been over the last few years. So it it goes without saying that they should be better offensively. But I'm, you know, pretty optimistic. I think they're going to figure some stuff out offensively, and that's going to lead the way. And then you look at how bad they were defensively last year. Well, again, they're not going to face all of these quarterbacks and these high-octane offenses this year. Um, And, you know, they've lost some players, but... I think they could, you know, it'd be hard for them to be worse than they were last year on defense. So, you know, you put that together with sort of the pressure of having to to, to really step it up this year with a new name and a new brand. And, you know, I think this is a big year for a lot of people in that organization. I don't think they're better than Dallas. I don't think they're better than Philadelphia. But, you know, among the NFC teams, I mean, are they the eighth, ninth best NFC team going in? Maybe. And so that gives them a chance. All right. Well, the commander's over-under win total for the upcoming regular season, as you know, has been seven and a half or eight in most shops. Uh, You would play the over? I would. And last year, I played the under. I loved the under last year. And they were the only under in the division that I liked. Um, And I liked the other three overs. I got the, the Eagles and the Cowboys. The Giants didn't come through. But I do like Washington over seven and a half, over eight, wherever it is, wherever you get it. Um, I think that there's, you know, there's a really good chance that they could win nine games. You mentioned this upcoming season being a big season for a lot of people with the Commanders. Ron Rivera has made it no secret that this coming season needs to be a step forward season for the team. Do you believe that this coming season is a make or break season for Ron as Commanders head coach? Or is that overstating things? I think for those of us that think he's a good coach and think he's a good man and think he's potentially the right guy for the job, I think it's a big year for him. I don't know if it's a big year for him with respect to keeping his job for 2023. Um, you know, I don't know if Dan can afford, you know, Dan and Tanya can afford to run him, you know, after three years with all of their emphasis on, you know, diversity and inclusion. And, and you know, that's just a constant theme <laughs> out there. It's almost become important than actually winning, um, you know, winning games. So, uh, but I do think Ron Rivera's put some pressure on this season that he didn't necessarily have to do. Nobody had high expectations when last year ended, but he has said, you know, multiple times during this off season, it's year three. This is when we turned it around in Carolina. This is going to be the first year for all intents and purposes of a run. He's kind of implied that um, they've got, you know, the kind of people they want you know, turn the culture around. They want us to ignore the past and focus, you know, on this two year, 14 and 19, you know, run <laughs> um, and all of the stuff they want us to ignore that's been happening off the field over the last two years. So I think he's put some pressure on himself. And I think, you know, he's sort of created a referendum on himself, you know, and part of that referendum is the decision that they made on Carson Wentz. Carson Wentz better play well this year, or they're going to look foolish. 
Yeah, so with Carson Wentz, uh, it now has been more than four months since the Commanders traded it for Carson Wentz. Uh, I know that you, like me, have done a lot of Carson Wentz segments and have spoken with a lot of guests about Carson Wentz and what he is and what he isn't and why truly the Indianapolis Colts traded Wentz just one year after trading for him. Uh, Netting it out, do you right now feel better, worse, or the same about the trade as compared to how you felt when the trade happened in March? the same i mean they haven't played a game yet i mean all all the stuff that you and i have to do every day to create you know some conversation you know they help out a lot by the way i mean they clearly they do uh (laughs) with with their behavior but i haven't learned anything about carson wentz in the off season i mean i've heard all the nice things being said by everybody out there but that doesn't mean anything until they start to play games. Um, I still feel the same way I felt about the trade. I feel like they panicked a little bit. It'll look, you know, they'll look so smart if he turns out to be the guy for the next five to seven years and turns out to be a legit top half of the league starting quarterback. It'll look super inexpensive. But, you know, we've seen what these, you know, these trades can be. I mean, just look at the Mayfield deal. Not that they're apples to apples. I mean, Carolina waited and um, the market probably softened if it was, you know, if it was anything but soft at, at any point in time. But they certainly didn't have to eat that whole salary. I can't believe that some pushback on the $28 million, trying to get uh, the, the Colts to eat at least some of that wasn't in play. But, you know, they had to make a move. They, they needed a quarterback. Uh, all due respect to, to you know, Taylor Heineke and everybody who fell in love with him. Um, and Wentz does have that upside. So it's great that they've got a quarterback with upside. Uh, I think they overpaid in the moment. But we won't know much until he starts to play. I think he's got maybe a better supporting cast now than he had in Indy. Mm -hmm. But he doesn't have Jonathan Taylor to carry the team, which Taylor did essentially carry the Colts into playoff contention late in the year. But um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they can put together. I've got confidence in Scott Turner. So that that part of it, um, I feel good about. Yeah, I'm with you. I like Scott Turner as well. Much more with Kevin Sheehan, host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, talking commanders in moments. I'm going to next ask Kevin about an incendiary tweet <laughs> that he put out a few months ago regarding Sam Howell, a.k.a. Commander Sam. Uh, just kidding. Uh, but if you or someone who you care about has been hurt by the negligence of someone else, take command of your situation and contact the law firm of Paulson and Nace. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611 and make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace can help your family make difficult decisions, and Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. I've known the Naces for 25 plus years. Chris Nace is a past president of the DC Trial Lawyers. Matt Nace is a member of the board of the DC Trial Lawyers. It's very simple. If you have a case, contact Paulson 
And Nace, if you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yeah, you're obligated to nothing. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. When you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. All right, we get back now to our conversation with Kevin Sheehan, host of the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast, Talking Commanders, and Sam Howell, uh, the quarterback out of North Carolina, the Commanders took in the fifth round of the 2022 NFL Draft. Kevin, uh, you on May 1st had the following as part of a tweet, quote, Sam Howell starts games plural (laughs) this year, developmental slash third string, dot, 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 end quote, and then not one, but two emojis of the face laughing with tears, the rolling on the floor laughing emoji, not once, but twice. Uh, What do you believe that the commanders truly believe that they have in Sam Howell? As you know, it was partly tongue-in-cheek, but given the nature of this franchise and the quarterback issues, um, you know, I think Ron Rivera's had, what, eight or nine quarterbacks start for him since he got to town. So playing it out, the chances based on recent history are pretty high that more than one quarterback is going to play this year. And but and if a quarterback is going to play more games than not um, in starts other than Wentz, I would think it would be Hal. I mean, they know they have in Heineke. But no, I mean, it's Wentz's job. It's Wentz's job for 17 games. They are praying and hoping. And he better, you know, barring injury, he better be the starting quarterback for 17 games. Because if he isn't, again, they're going to look foolish if at some point in the season, you know, they're 4-11 and they got two games left and it hasn't worked out. And they're like, all right, let's see what Sam Howell has. But with Sam Howell, and I know that you watch a lot of college football, and a year ago at this time, Howell was viewed as the potential number one pick in the 2022 draft. Do you think that the commanders might have something significant in Howell, or is he more of a long shot, long term project type quarterback? I, that's what I think. But of course, I think, you know, we talked about this when they picked him. When they picked him, they knew that this wasn't going to be your run-of-the-mill fifth-round quarterback because you don't have to be a college football fan. You just have to be an NFL draft geek to know that he was at the top of the overall board, you know, a year and a half previous to to him being selected in the fifth round. So, um, I, you know, I, I think that they probably somebody likes him. Wouldn't surprise me at all if it's Scott Turner that really liked him, Scott. I think is convinced wrong on a couple of the offensive players that they've picked the last couple of years. I know he loved Deami Brown. I know he loved uh, Sam Cosme. And so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it, it put it out. If it doesn't work with Wentz, say you get to the halfway mark and they've lost, you know, to Detroit and they've lost to Chicago and maybe they're like three and six whatever's left of the fan base is going to start screaming, let's see Sam Howell. 
You've talked about how the commanders internally believe that their offense this coming season could be really good. Obviously, every NFL team should think that to at least some extent this time of year. But from the people with whom you've spoken, uh, the commander's internal offensive optimism is rooted in what? I think the, the overall fact that they, they love their playmakers. Um, they, they, you know, it, it, there's some hope there on the, on the health of, of Curtis Samuel. Um, but Al, someone told me recently that Dotson, some of the players believe Dotson's the best receiver on the team. Wow. That that's how great he looked in the offseason. But again, what does that mean? They haven't played a game yet. I did like Dotson at Penn State and watched a lot of Dotson at Penn State. Was he picked too early? Who knows? But I always thought he was going to be a really good NFL receiver, even if it was just a slot receiver. You know, if you have him and Samuel McLaurin, and I think Logan Thomas is a guy that Rivera really feels is important that they get back and healthy, and he plays the majority of the games. And then you've got McKissick, who they didn't want to lose, and they were able to keep. Um, I like Gibson. I, I yeah, I, I feel like it's almost a contrarian opinion now to say that Gibson still has a chance to be a big-time star. 6'2", 220, 4'3", speed, and all the analytic stuff about all of the yards left out on the field because he doesn't have great vision, etc. I saw an improvement with Gibson last year. I saw a guy that still has a fumbling problem, and that's more important than anything. And if he continues to have that problem, well you know, good riddance. They can't, you know, put them on the field. Um, but they must feel the same way that some of the analysts, you know, uh, sort of imply because they drafted a running back in the third round. You know, you don't draft a running back in the third round unless you expect that guy to have a chance to play for you and sooner rather than later. So they must feel the same way uh, about Antonio Gibson that others do. But yeah, they feel really, really good about their playmaker situation, feel good about their offense line, and they, I think most of it comes from the fact that that, that set of playmakers is going to have an NFL-caliber starting quarterback throwing to them. Yeah. So I think they're really excited about what they can be offensively. When you look at the commander's offense and you look at the commander's defense, which would you say that you trust more for this coming season? I mean, I think we did this on, um, I don't know, when you came on with me, maybe we talked about this or I'm thinking about somebody else, but it's like this time last year, this is the NFL. This time last year, it was like total confidence in the defense. Who knows, Ryan Fitzpatrick, hopefully it'll be better, but total confidence in the defense to be, you know, some people thought the 85 Bears last year. And here we are a year later, and I would say that I have more confidence in the offense. Yeah. That, that could change quickly, but, you know, it's just so – when you don't have an elite quarterback in the NFL, um, things change so dramatically year to year with teams. When you don't have the, the, the great quarterback that keeps you a consistent winner year in and year out or a consistent playoff team or contender year in and year out, it's amazing how much things change from one year to the next in terms of what you think about, you know, a certain team. I wanted to keep the majority of our conversation to Commander's football because I feel like there's very much a growing fatigue with all of the Dan Snyder stuff. But of course, the Dan Snyder stuff does matter a lot. 
with all that has gone on and continues to go on, and look, we do still have the results of the Mary Jo White investigation that could change things, but are we in fact looking at a situation that is ultimately going to result in Dan Snyder still being the owner of the team? That for all of the talk about the workplace misconduct scandal and Congress and the other 31 NFL owners potentially wanting Dan out, he just isn't going anywhere. I mean, that's the betting favorite right now. Uh, I think that's the betting favorite. He's got his heels dug in. Um, The other 31, as much as they dislike him, they're not going to run him unless there's something much worse. I mean, the fact that he's a terrible owner and the market is vastly, and the team is vastly underperforming is not a reason for them to force him out. And I know that, you know, people say, well, what about the toxic culture? What about the misogyny? What about the sexual harassment, the misconduct, all that? Well, you know, unfortunately, none of it's tied really directly to the owner. Um, And, you know, he denies the stuff that's, you know, even remotely tied directly to him. I don't think the Mary Jo White thing is going to produce anything because that Tiffany Johnston allegation was the one in which he immediately jumped on we'll handle the investigation and we'll be transparent which you know immediately was a a tell that they you know they didn't think that anything could be proven there i I just i think the, the i think the best opportunity for the greatest thing that would have that, that could happen to this city's sports teams, which is for a new owner to take over the team, is for him at some point to realize this isn't any fun. They hate me. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my family. Um, and, you know, the city deserves better. And I can get close to $6 billion for the team if I sell it which allows me to pay off all of the debt that I took on to pay off my minority shareholders and still walk with like four and a half to $5 billion. So, um, but who knows? I mean, things change and there could be something that we're missing. I hope there is, but I wouldn't count on it. What do you think? Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I want Dan Snyder out as owner of the Commanders as much as the next guy. He has done a terrible job as owner of the team. Everyone knows that, but The most realistic means of getting him out has always been 24 of the 31 other NFL owners voting him out. And we just don't seem to be at that point for whatever reason. And when it comes to Congress, I mean, Congress can't even serve Dan with a subpoena. Never mind him still not having testified before Congress. Congress can't even serve Dan with a subpoena. Dan is beating Congress, whether we like it or not. The one thing, though, Al, that we... we all of us, I mean, 99.9% of us would love for him to be forced to sell or decide to sell is that I think over the last year, maybe two years, but maybe it's accelerated a little bit with Goodell being forced to go in front of Congress. The league really would prefer that outcome too. You know, the donors, the commissioner, They all know what this market was and what it potentially could be again. And I think more than ever, they all realize it's never going to be what they want it to be as long as he owns the team. And so, you know, maybe they'll continue to try to find things to to run him or to get him to decide what Jerry Richardson decided in Charlotte, which is to voluntarily sell. 
you know, I mean, maybe the owners could put together an additional pool of money to say, hey, sell the team and we'll also give you a bonus, an outgoing bonus for selling the team. You know, an extra half billion dollars or something that put it all together and try to incent him to leave um, because he's not good for the sport, um, but the sport will survive. But he's really not good for what should be a marquee market. No, Dan Snyder is not. But even with all of that being true, enough of the other 31 NFL owners don't want Dan out enough to vote him out. Otherwise, I feel like that vote already would have been put into motion if not outright happened. I mean, the time to get Dan out has been over the last two years with this workplace misconduct scandal and these multiple Dan Snyder specific allegations and that he's not yet out and that there doesn't seem to be a lot of momentum indicating that he'll likely be out uh, makes me think that he's probably not going to be out anytime soon. Yeah, but as Tommy has said to me many times, it's not like the passage of times ever helped him. You know, as long, I mean, and it's so true, as long as he owns the team, nothing's going to get better for him. Yeah. You know, there will be something else eventually, and maybe it's the Gruden case. You know, who knows? Um, Something could happen. Passage of time, Tommy always tells me, has never helped Snyder. So if it's not this go around, it might be the next one. Yeah, could be. There is the unknown. And uh, we don't know what the unknown might end up providing to us in this whole deal. Kevin, I appreciate your time very much, man. Thank you so much and all the best to you. All right. Thanks. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Up next, I'm talking Nationals who actually win a game on Sunday afternoon. But more importantly, the Juan Soto saga. Where are we with the Nats potentially trading their star right fielder prior to the August 2nd MLB trade deadline? We over the weekend got some intel on how the Nats are approaching trade talks. I'll get to that. The Nats clown controversy (laughs) from the weekend and much more after this. Well, if you're like me, you like coffee, and coffee is a part of your routine. I drink coffee before every workout, and I'm a big fan of Trade Coffee, which right now is offering something very special to listeners of the Al Galdi podcast. More on that offer in moments. But Trade Coffee tastes great, and Trade Coffee comes from a great place. Trade Coffee sends you freshly roasted beans from 60 of the country's best craft roasters, small businesses that pay farmers fair prices to sustainably source the greatest beans from around the world. So buying Trade Coffee gets you delicious coffee and supports small businesses and farmers. And here's maybe the best part. Trade Coffee tailors its coffee to you. Uh, You complete a very brief coffee quiz, and you get your own personalized variety of coffees delivered fresh to you as often as you like. No gimmicks. Uh, Trade Coffee delivers a bag of freshly roasted coffee as whole beans or ground for however you brew your coffee at home. And Trade Coffee guarantees that you'll love your first order, or Trade Coffee will replace your order for free. Trade Coffee is a great model. There's no one perfect coffee but there is a perfect coffee for you. And so here's a special offer for listeners of this podcast. Trade Coffee is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off first orders plus free shipping. Just go to drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Drinktrade.com slash algaldi. Take the quiz and let Trade Coffee find you the coffee that you'll love. Again, 
$30 off. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. That's drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. One more time, visit drinktrade.com slash algaldi for $30 off. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Well, as bad as the Nationals are, and look, they are bad, uh, even they win a game once in a while, and once in a while, thankfully, mercifully, happened on Sunday. The Nats on Sunday won for just the third time in 20 games. The Nats, since a three-game winning streak from June 26th through the 28th, had gone just 2-17, and but then came Sunday, a 4-3 win at the Arizona Diamondbacks to avoid a three-game sweep and give the Nats a third win over the team's last 20 games from 2-17 and 17 to 3-17. and 17. Nats manager, Davey Martinez, if you would. I'm proud of the boys. Yes, Davey, there you go. Be proud of the boys. Uh, the Nats began their post-All-Star break portion of the season by getting smashed at the Diamondbacks over the first two games of the series. Friday night, a 10-1 loss. Saturday night, a 7-2 loss. So the Nats, over the first two games of the series, were outscored 17-3 by a Diamondbacks team that is last in the National League West. Uh, The Nats, in the 2022 regular season now, are a Major League Worst 32-65 with a Major League Worst run differential of minus 162. Uh, Like I said, the Nats are bad, but hey, at least the Nats did win on Sunday. More on the series in a bit, but let's get into the latest on what matters the most with the Nats right now. The Juan Soto saga. Uh, The Nats potentially trading right fielder Juan Soto prior to the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd at 6 p.m. Eastern. 
understand, August 2nd is a week from Tuesday. Juan Soto could be gone as soon as two Tuesdays from now. Let that sink in. Uh, We may be on the verge of one of the biggest trades in the history of Washington, D.C. sports. The most notable item in the Soto saga over the weekend to me was what MLB insider Ken Rosenthal of Fox Sports and The Athletic put out there on Saturday afternoon. Rosenthal on Saturday afternoon on FS1's MLB pregame show said that his understanding in terms of the Nats' asking price for Soto, quote, from multiple clubs is that the Nationals are asking for four to five top young players, a combination of prospects and major leaguers with low service time. End quote. Uh, Okay, I mean, nothing shocking there, but that is notable. And that does raise something that I do think is important. I've heard and read about how the Nats shouldn't trade Juan Soto because the Nats will never get back anyone as good as Soto. Uh, Look, there are reasons that the Nats should not trade Soto, but that right there actually is not one of the reasons. The idea with trading Soto wouldn't be to get back a bunch of prospects who all become Sotos themselves. I mean, if that happened, great, but no sane person is counting on that or even considering that to be a possibility. The idea with trading Soto wouldn't even be for one of the prospects who the Nats get back becoming Soto. Although, again, if that happens, fantastic. The idea with trading Soto, among many ideas, would be that one player in baseball, even a generational talent like Soto, can only impact a team so much. And so if you can turn Soto into, say, three good players, those three good players in totality could provide more production than Soto, even though he is a great player. Think about it via war, wins above replacement, which is used by front offices in MLB. This is not just like a stats geek thing, war. Uh, Juan Soto is worth, say, six war per season. Although I may even be generous in saying that because if you go by baseball references version of war, Soto has only been a six war player one time which was last season. But let's say that Soto is worth six war per season. If you trade him for five prospects slash young players and say three of the five guys end up being worth three war per season, well, nine wins above replacement is worth more than six wins above replacement. Now, maybe two of the guys end up being worth three war per season and another guy ends up being worth one war per season. Uh, Well, seven wins above replacement is worth more than six wins above replacement. Now, that's a very simplistic scenario that I just laid out, but you get the idea. But there's no question that the asking price for Soto should be a bulk, a horde, a multitude of promising prospects slash young players. Now, also from Ken Rosenthal on Saturday was this. He later on Saturday afternoon had the following as part of a tweet, quote, 10 days from deadline, Nats aren't negotiating, one exec says. A team either shows willingness to meet price or Nats move on, end quote. Uh, I got to tell you, I like that. I like that approach from Mike Rizzo. He is the Nats president of baseball operations and general manager. 
Uh, him trading Juan Soto may well be the biggest deal that Mike ever pulls off. And so he needs to get this right. He needs to get this right for a lot of reasons, including because his farm system is one of the poor farm systems in baseball. And Mike's poor drafting and a player development system under Mike's watch are two of the biggest reasons that the Nats do have the worst record in MLB right now. And so if you're Mike Rizzo and you're trying to maximize a return on Juan Soto, I do think that playing hardball is the way to do this year. Like, don't even negotiate, at least not yet. You know, you are coming from a position of power in that A, you have the asset, i.e. Juan Soto, and B, you don't have to trade him right now. You could trade him this offseason. You could trade him next season. You could not trade him at all. You know, Barry's Verluga, columnist for the Washington Post, this past Tuesday afternoon tweeted that the expectation is that the sale of the Nats will be completed by November. I mean, if you're the Nats, why not hold on to Soto and see if new ownership can get him to sign a contract extension? In a lot of ways, this decision is not a decision for the learners, you know? This decision should be for the next ownership group of the Nats. And, you know, maybe Juan Soto truly is unsignable. Like, maybe it is that Juan Soto has no true interest in signing a contract extension with the Nats or anyone and is dead set on becoming a free agent after the 2024 season. Okay, if that's the case, then you do need to trade him and probably sooner rather than later. But you need to truly find out if Juan Soto is unsignable. Like, you got to put that to the test. And that can't truly be put to the test with this ownership uncertainty for the Nats. No great player no significant player possibly would sign a contract extension with the Nats right now, given that we don't know who's going to be owning the team moving forward. There is so much uncertainty with the Nats right now because of this ownership uncertainty. But as much as it is very possible that the Nats are about to trade Juan Soto, don't lose sight of the reality that they don't have to trade Soto right now. And you could make the case that the Nats shouldn't trade Soto right now, especially if new ownership is going to be taking over come November. And so because we do have this reality of the Nats not having to trade Juan Soto right now, I do think that the Nats have at least some leverage, maybe even significant leverage in these Juan Soto trade talks. Uh, All right, as for the Nats series at the Diamondbacks over the weekend, uh, Soto really didn't do a ton in the series. He was an ad starting right fielder in all three games in the series. Soto on Friday night as an ad's number three batter, one for four with a single. He in the top of the seventh had a leadoff single to right field on an 0-2 pitch. Uh, Soto on Saturday night as an ad's number three batter, 0 for four with three strikeouts, uh, ending his on-base streak at 27 games. Yes, Soto had had a really nice on-base streak going a 27-game on-base streak. And how about him striking out three times in one game? That certainly does not happen often. Uh, Soto on Sunday as an ad's number two batter, 0 for 2 with three walks. And these were quick walks. So Soto barely got pitched to on Sunday. Top of the first, a one-out four-pitch walk. Top of the third, a one-out four-pitch walk. Top of the ninth, a one-out five-pitch walk. Juan Soto now in the 2022 regular season has a major league leading 82 walks. The next highest total is 57. Max Muncy, 
Los Angeles Dodgers infielder has 57 walks. Think about that. Soto has 82 walks. The next highest walk total is Max Muncy's 57. Uh, Soto on Sunday did commit an error, one of the Nats' three errors in the game. Uh, This game was a sloppy mess of a game, all kinds of blunders in the game. But uh, the game was a Nats win, and it was a Nats win in no small part due to Capet Ruiz. A big game for him. Ruiz on Sunday as the Nats starting catcher and number seven batter. Three for three with a double, an RBI single, an infield single, and a walk. Uh, Now, he did have a major base running boo-boo, and he did commit a throwing error, but Ruiz in the top of the second drew a two-out four-pitch walk. Ruiz in the Nats' one-run fourth had a one-out full-count double to the right center field gap. Ruiz in the Nats' one-run sixth had a one-out infield single on a grounder to Diamondbacks third baseman Josh Rojas, who made a nice diving catch but then committed a throwing error. Uh, Yadiel Hernandez scored on the play to cut the Nats' deficit to 3-2, and Ruiz advanced to third base on the play, but he, moments later in the inning, got tagged out in a rundown between third base and home plate on a failed safety squeeze attempt with A. Ray Adrianza batting. Uh, That was a really bad moment and a really bad out for Ruiz uh, to have made there. Uh, But Ruiz in the Nats, one run eighth, a big hit, a one-out opposite field RBI single to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 4-3 Nats lead. Uh, the Nats rallied to win on Sunday. They overcame a 3-1 six-inning deficit. Uh, Josh Bell did not do much of anything over the series' first two games in which the Nats offense was really bad. But Bell on Sunday as the Nats starting first baseman and number three batter, one for three with an RBI double and two walks. Uh, Bell in the top of the third, a two-out five-pitch walk. Bell in the Nats, one run seventh, a two-out RBI double to the right field corner to tie the game at three. Uh, The double was initially ruled an automatic double due to the ball going out of play, but the Nats successfully challenged the play. The ball was never actually out of play, and so the run did score. And then Bell in the top of the ninth, a one-out six-pitch walk despite having been down in the count at one point, one-two. Two other big hits for the Nats on Sunday. Lane Thomas in the Nats' one-run eighth, a pinch leadoff double to the left center field gap. And A. Ray Adrianza, uh, he was the Nats starting third baseman and number eight batter. He went one for four with an RBI single. Adrianza in the Nats, one run fourth, a one out RBI single to right field to cut the Nats deficit to 2 1, despite having been down to the count at one point. Oh, two. Also on Sunday was Clowngate. Uh, yeah, we over the final two games of this series between two last place teams, Nats at the Diamondbacks, had a clown controversy. How fitting is that? Two bad teams engaged in a clown controversy. Uh, the clown controversy involved Nats center fielder Victor Robles and Diamondbacks starting pitcher Madison Bumgarner. Two very different people for all kinds of reasons. Uh, Robles was an at starting center fielder and number nine batter in all three games in this series. He, on Saturday night, went two for three with a solo homer, a bunt single, and a stolen base. There actually was a lot going on with Victor Robles in that game on Saturday night. Heck, the bunt single and stolen base were a story in and of themselves. Robles in an at's one run third on Saturday night, had a leadoff first pitch, bunt single, and a stolen base. And what was so funny was what happened with the bunt single and the stolen base. The bunt single was a bunt pop-up single. Should have never been a hit, but uh, Madison Bumgarner was slow to get to the pop-up, and Robles' stolen base in the inning came, despite Bumgarner having Robles picked off. Uh, But Robles beat the throw from Diamondbacks first baseman Kristen Walker to second base. But then later in the game came the home run. Uh, Robles in an at's 
One run eighth, a one-out solo homer to left field of Bumgarner to cut the Nats' deficit to 7-2. So the Nats were losing badly. Uh, the homer was impressive uh, when it projected 413 feet per stat cast. Uh, but Bumgarner, after the game, called Robles, quote, a clown, end quote, for supposedly admiring his home run. Uh, here was the post-game exchange between Bumgarner and a reporter. Reaction to that home run? As a clown. Golly. No shame. No shame. Like, it's 7-1. You hear third homer of the year, you act like Barry Bonds breaking the record. <laughs> Clean it up. I don't care about getting up the run. Nobody, I mean, hell, we won 7-2, 8-2, whatever it was. Uh, it's... Uh, frustrating that's the i'm the old grumpy guy i know but that type of stuff didn't that didn't used to happen now it's it's that's ridiculous all right so there you go classic get off my lawn stuff from madison bumgarner now here is what is so funny about madison bumgarner do you know that this season is only bumgarner's age 32 season yeah (laughs) that's it Madison Bumgarner is in just his age 32 season. First of all, how is that possible, right? Madison Bumgarner has been around forever. But second of all, how and why is a guy in his age 32 season talking as Bumgarner was just talking? Like, the guy is 32. He's acting like he's 82, you know, with this, you're not allowed to celebrate stuff. But uh, that is something to me, that Madison Bumgarner is only in his age 32 season. But look, Victor Robles on Saturday night didn't even really pimp his home run all that much, at least not from what I saw. Uh, Madison Bumgarner being all bitter at Victor Robles to me is ridiculous. And even if Robles pimped the homer, okay, even if Robles celebrated the homer, so what? Who cares? Baseball is a sport. It's entertainment. Let people have fun. You know, baseball isn't a root canal. Baseball is supposed to be entertaining and fun. Let the sport be entertaining and fun. And, you know, also consider this. Victor Robles is from the Dominican Republic. The game in the DR is played in a flashy way, in an electric way. Dominican players have fun playing baseball. We have seen this in these World Baseball Classics. So some of this is a cultural thing, okay? Victor Robles wasn't admiring slash celebrating slash pimping his home run to whatever extent he was doing those things uh, to show up Madison Bumgarner. Robles was doing this because this is how Robles plays baseball. That is the culture of baseball from which Robles came. What is so bad about that? Why is that such a bad thing? I don't understand that. Uh, So all of that brought us to what we got on Sunday. And this was something. So Robles on Sunday, one for four with a single. And Robles wore a clown nose in the dugout. Now, it's not like Robles wore the clown nose for the entirety of the game. But he did wear a clown nose in the dugout, obviously trolling Madison Bumgarner. Davey Martinez was not happy about this. Davey was not happy uh, that Robles did this. And perhaps part of why was what happened with Robles on the base paths. Uh, A bit of a clown moment for him on the base paths on Sunday. Robles in the top of the third, a leadoff first pitch, opposite field single to the right center field gap. But he later in the inning got caught on an attempted steal at third base 
for the second out. Uh, now, this marked the first time in the 2022 regular season uh, that Robles was thrown out on an attempted steal. He had been 11 for 11 on stolen bases. Um, and look, this was not like an egregious base running blunder by Robles, but he did get thrown out on an attempted steal. He got picked off in the previous game, but ended up generating a stolen base out of that. He obviously has declined precipitously as an offensive player over the last three seasons. You know, I get where Davey Martinez is coming from saying, hey, uh, don't wear the clown nose in the dugout, okay? Especially given the state of the Nats right now. I do understand that. But uh, overall, to me, Madison Bumgarner in the wrong far more than Victor Robles was. As for the Nats starting pitching in the series, uh, Patrick Corbin, the former Diamondback, not good in game one. Uh, Corbin in the 10-1 loss at the Diamondbacks on Friday night, five runs in five innings. Yeah, another clunker from Corby. Uh, he, in this game, gave up eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles. He did have seven strikeouts versus one walk, and he did throw a lot of strikes. 99 pitches, 64 strikes versus 35 balls. But again, Corbin gave up way too many hits. Uh, Corbin, in the bottom of the third, allowed four runs, including giving up a one-out three-run homer to Cattell Marte to center field for a 4-0 Diamondbacks lead. The homer winner projected 423 feet for StatCast. So Patrick Corbin had those back-to-back good starts. He since then has had three consecutive not-so-good starts, and he now over 20 starts in the 2022 regular season has an ERA of 6.02. Yeah, the Patrick Corbin ERA is back above six. Uh, Anibal Sanchez was an ad-starting pitcher in game two of this series. He was about what you would expect. Uh, Sanchez in the 7-2 loss at the Diamondbacks on Saturday night. Three runs in five innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, a double, and four singles. He issued two walks, recorded four strikeouts. He over his five innings threw 93 pitches, 54 strikes versus 39 balls. I mean, this whole Anibal Sanchez scenario is a road to nowhere. I think that most people get that. The Nats, though, are so lacking in organizational pitching depth that they have to turn to someone like Anibal Sanchez right now, even though the Nats are in the midst of a rebuild. And Anibal Sanchez, over his two major league starts in the 2022 regular season, has allowed seven runs in 10 innings. Remember, this is a guy, age 38 season, did not pitch at all in the majors in the 2021 regular season. And he, in the 2020 regular season, was not good in pitching for the Nats. Uh, Eric Fetty was not good in game three of this series. Uh, Fetty in the 4-3 win at the Diamondbacks on Sunday, pitched in a game for the first time in 11 days. Uh, His last start had come in a 2-1 loss to the Seattle Mariners at Nationals Park on July 13th in game two of a doubleheader. Fetty in that game, two runs in five and a third innings. He actually threw up during the game. Uh, Davey Martinez revealed that after the game. Uh, Well, Fetty on Sunday was not good. Uh, He was rusty and he was off. Three runs in four and two-thirds innings. He gave up seven hits, two doubles, and five singles. He issued four walks and a wild pitch, recorded three strikeouts. He threw a lot of pitches. Now, Fetty almost always throws a lot of pitches, but Fetty on Sunday, four and two-thirds innings, 99 pitches, 58 strikes, versus 41 balls. And Eric Fetty now, over 19 starts in the 2022 regular season, has an ERA of 495. He got off to such a nice start to this season, but as was the case last season off a nice start, Eric Fetty has fallen off a cliff here, and he has struggled uh, for a while here now. Again, the ERA 
for the 2022 regular season up to 495 and the walk rate for Fetty in the 2022 regular season way too high 4.56 walks per nine innings. And then for the Nats bullpen in the series, uh, bad in each of the first two games, good in game three, although the bullpen in game three had quite the adventure. So we had a bunch of transactions by the Nats with the pen on Friday afternoon. Uh, The Nats on Friday afternoon recalled reliever Hunter Harvey from AAA Rochester, returned from rehabilitation assignment and reinstated reliever Victor Arano from the 15-day injured list and placed reliever Tyler Clippard on the 15-day IL with a groin strain retroactive to July 19th. Uh, The Nats had just optioned Harvey to AAA Rochester on July 17th, so good to see him back up at the major league level. And Victor Arano was back off a pretty lengthy absence. The Nats on June 6th had placed Arano on the 15-day IL with left knee inflammation. Also uh, for the Nats on Friday, by the way, was them on Friday night bringing back pitcher Josh Rogers from his rehab assignment, reinstating him off him having uh, been out for more than a month uh, due to a left shoulder impingement, but also optioning him to AAA Rochester. Uh, Rogers did not look good during his minor league rehab assignment, and so the Nats uh, sent him to the minors, optioned him uh, to Rochester. So in this series, you had in game one, the 10-1 loss at the Diamondbacks on Friday night, three Nats relievers combining to allow five runs, three earned in three innings. Uh, We saw Hunter Harvey in the bottom of the seventh, Gave up a run. He gave up a one-out triple to Cattell Marte. We saw Victor Arano in the bottom of the eighth allow three runs, one earned on two singles and two walks. Then in the 7-2 loss at the Diamondbacks on Saturday night, three Nats relievers combined to allow four runs in three innings. The culprit was Andres Machado, who was a mess in the bottom of the sixth. He allowed four runs, recorded just two outs. He gave up a double, three singles, a walk, and a wild pitch. Also, the Diamondbacks, during Machado's time of the game, went two for two on stolen bases. This really was one of the worst outings any Nats reliever has had in a game this season. Machado, 24 pitches, 13 strikes. That was it versus 11 balls. But also in the game, Erasmo Ramirez, one and a third perfect innings, and Steve Ciszek, a perfect bottom of the eighth with two strikeouts. Then in the Nats' win in the series, the 4-3 win at the Diamondbacks on Sunday. Four Nats relievers combined for four and a third scoreless innings, although things were not quite that simple. Uh, Jordan Weems faced five batters and recorded three outs, although one of the batters reached base via a miscatch error by first baseman Josh Bell. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed one and a third scoreless innings despite in the bottom of the seventh giving up a one-out single and issuing a two-out walk. Steve Ciszek was a mess uh, in the bottom of the eighth. He faced four batters but recorded just one out. He began the bottom of the eighth by giving up back-to-back singles and then issuing a hit-by-pitch to load the bases. And then Kyle Finnegan came into the game. And Kyle Finnegan authored one of the great escape acts that any Nats pitcher has authored this season. Not that there is like a lengthy list of escape acts by Nats pitchers this season, but this was something. So Kyle Finnegan in this game faced four batters and recorded the final five outs of the game. He entered the game in the bottom of the eighth with the bases loaded, one out, and the Nats nursing a 4-3 lead. And Finnegan with just one hitch put out the fire. Finnegan, with just one pitch, got out of the jam. He induced a one-out first pitch, inning-ending, 6-4-3 double play off the bat of Christian Walker. And then Finnegan tossed a perfect bottom of the ninth. Uh, What a job by Kyle Finnegan 
on Sunday. Next up for the Nats, a three-game series at the National League-leading Los Angeles Dodgers. Uh, yeah, this could be ugly over the next few days. We'll see. Uh, game one, Monday night at 10-10, Paolo Espino will be the Nats' starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 10-10, Josiah Gray will be the Nats' starting pitcher. And game three, Wednesday afternoon at 3-10, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats' starting pitcher. So next for the Nationals is the best team in the National League, the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Orioles just played the best team in the majors, uh, the New York Yankees at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And the O's did lose two of the three games in the series, although each of the first two games in the series was a competitive game. And each of the first two games in the series had a hot crowd at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. We have not had many hot crowds at Oriole Park at Camden Yards in recent years, but we had a hot crowd in each of the first two games of this series. And yes, uh, some of that was due to the many Yankees fans at Camden Yards. But still, uh, if you are an O's fan, this was a fun series to watch, certainly over the first two games of the series. Friday night, uh, the O's lost to the Yankees 7-6. Saturday night, the O's beat the Yankees 6-3. Sunday afternoon, the O's did get shut out by the Yankees, 6 nothing. So the O's in the 2022 regular season now are 47-48. and 48. The Yankees, meantime, are having some season. Uh, the Yankees now in the 2022 regular season are a major league best 66-31 and 31, with a major league best run differential of plus 200. That is absurd. And no player on the Yankees has been better than Aaron Judge. And Aaron Judge in this series destroyed the O's. Aaron Judge in this series showed no mercy against Orioles pitching. Judge was the Yankees starting center fielder in each of the first two games of the series. He was the Yankees starting DH on Sunday afternoon. He was the Yankees number two batter in all three games in the series. Aaron Judge over the three games in this series, eight for 13 with three home runs, two doubles, three singles, one walk, eight RBI, and four runs, and he went one for one on stolen bases. The O's in this series could not get Aaron Judge out. Each of his three home runs in the series was a monster blast. Uh, Judge is just killing it this season. Judge for the 2022 regular season, number one in the majors with 37 home runs, number one in the majors with 81 RBI, number one in the majors with 80 runs, number two among all qualified players in the majors in slugging percentage at 650, and number three among all qualified players in the majors in OPS at 1,000. 26. So yeah, for the O's, there definitely was an element to this series of getting humbled. And the Orioles starting pitching in this series was not good. Uh, Tyler Wells in game one struggled for a third consecutive start. Uh, Wells in the 7-6 loss to the Yankees on Friday night, five runs in five innings. Uh, gave up five hits, two home runs, two doubles, and a single. He issued two walks. He recorded four strikeouts. He threw 81 pitches. What killed Wells were the two homers, uh, each of which was a bomb by, yes, Aaron Judge. Uh, a two-out, three-run homer to left field in the top of the third on a shot that went a projected 436 feet per stat cast, and a two-out solo homer to left center field in the top of the fifth on a blast that went a projected 465 feet 
for a stat cast. Yeah, you heard that right. 465 feet. Uh, and so Tyler Wells now has struggled in each of his last three starts. He has been the Orioles' best starting pitcher this season, but he is not in a good place right now. Uh, the 5-4 walk-off win over the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on July 8th. Wells in that game allowed three runs in four innings. The 5-4 loss at the Tampa Bay Rays on July 15th. Wells in that game allowed three runs in five and two-thirds innings, although that is a bit misleading. Wells in that game did record six strikeouts. He in that game did throw a lot of strikes, 92 pitches, 62 strikes versus just 30 balls. And Wells in that game allowed one run through five and two-thirds innings. He then, in the bottom of the six, allowed back-to-back two-out doubles to tie the game at two. And then reliever CNL Perez came into the game and gave up a two-out RBI double. Tyler Wells now in the 2022 regular season, 19 starts, ERA of 369. Uh, Jordan Lyles in the 6-3 win over the Yankees on Saturday night, three runs in five innings. He gave up eight hits, a home run, two doubles, both of which were by, yes, Aaron Judge uh, in five singles. Uh, Lyles issued two walks. He recorded just two strikeouts, and he over the five innings threw a lot of pitches, 99 pitches, 59 strikes versus 40 balls. Uh, Jordan Lyles now in the 2022 regular season, 20 starts, ERA of 479. The O's in March officially signed Lyles as a free agent, one-year contract with a club option for 2023. I do consider Lyles to be a trade candidate for the O's come the MLB trade deadline on August 2nd. I mean, I don't think that the O's would get back some massive haul for Jordan Lyles, but he does eat up innings. He has been better this season, I think, than the 479 ERA would suggest. And if you are a contending team looking for rotation depth, I could see uh, a trade of Jordan Lyles happening. But clearly, if you're looking for a frontline starter, that's not what Jordan Lyles is. And then Dean Kramer in the 6 nothing loss to the Yankees on Sunday afternoon struggled for a third time in four starts. Uh, Kramer allowed four runs in five and a third innings. He gave up five hits, a homer, a double, and three singles. He did have six strikeouts versus one walk, but he also issued a hit-by-pitch. Dean Kramer now has issued a hit-by-pitch in each of his last three starts, and there was the homer. Uh, Kramer in the top of the third allowed three runs, including giving up a two-out, two-run homer to, yes, Aaron Judge on a bomb to left field. Uh, the homer went a projected 456 feet for stat cast. Aaron Judge tortured the O's in this series. Uh, here was O's manager Brandon Hyde during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on Dean Kramer. You know, I just thought he made a couple bad pitches. The 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 cutter to LeMahieu with two outs there, and then you know with the the pitch to Judge, um, who obviously has been killing us, and and you know just hung a curveball there after punching him out his first at bat. So, uh, and besides that, I thought he did a pretty good job. Because you punched him out the first at bat, was that maybe why you didn't want to walk Judge with the with the base open there, just because he had gotten a strike out the first at bat? No, it's the third inning, and you know we just got to execute better pitches there. You, you, you can't, you know, you got to live on the edge or off or down. If you walk him, you walk him. But, you know, we just, you know, a young pitcher made a, uh, you know, mistake in a, you know, bad spot there. Yeah, so Dean Kramer now has struggled in three of his last four starts. Kramer in the 7-6-10 inning win over the Texas Rangers at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on July 4th. Five runs in four and two-thirds innings. Kramer in the one nothing win over the Los Angeles Angels at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on July 9th was good. Five scoreless innings, seven strikeouts, but Kramer in the 6-4-11 inning win at the Tampa Bay Rays on July 16th, three runs in four innings. Uh, he gave up eight hits, a homer, a double, and six singles. He issued no walks, but he issued a hit-by-pitch and two wild pitches 
Uh, Andy recorded just two strikeouts. Dean Kramer now in the 2022 regular season, nine starts, ERA of 3-0-6. Now, there were bright spots for the O's in losing two or three games to the Yankees over the weekend. The biggest bright spot was Adley Rutschman. Uh, the number one pick in the 2019 MLB draft continues to blossom before our eyes. Rutschman in this series, 5-for-10 with three doubles, two singles, and three walks. He in each game had a double and a walk. Uh, Rutschman on Friday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, two for four with a double, a single, and a walk. Rutschman on Saturday night as the Orioles starting catcher and number two batter, one for three with an RBI double and a walk. So note Rutschman in each of the first two games of this series was the Orioles' number two batter. Uh, the number two spot in the lineup is where most analytically inclined major league teams put their best batters. Adley Rutschman in each of these first two games in a series against the Mighty Yankees was the Orioles' number two batter. That's significant. And then Rutschman on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting DH in number five batter, two for three with a double, a single, and a walk. Here is your Adley Rutschman slash line now for the month of July. Batting average of 278. On base percentage of 394, slugging percentage of 519. He has become a doubles machine. It is so good to see Adley Rushman doing so well. Uh, Cedric Mullins had a good series. He was the Orioles starting center fielder and number one batter in all three games in the series. He in the series went five for 11 with five singles and two walks and went one for two on stolen bases. Mullins in the 6-3 win over the Yankees on Saturday night had a big hit. He in the Orioles two-run fifth had a two-out RBI single to center field on an 0-2 pitch beginning the Orioles come back from a 3-0 fifth inning deficit. Uh, I still want to see Cedric Mullins hit for more power, but he is getting on base quite a bit. Cedric Mullins in this month of July has an on-base percentage of 354. Anthony Santander on Friday night had a big game. He is the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter, two for five with a three-run homer and a single. Santander in the Orioles three-run seventh, a one-out three-run homer to left field off Yankees reliever Aroldis Chapman to cut the Orioles deficit to 7-6. Uh, the homer winner projected 424 feet per stat cast. Ramona Rios on Saturday night had a big game. He is the Orioles starting third baseman and number eight batter, three for four with a two-run homer, a double, and a single. Arias in the Orioles, two-run eighth, a two-out two-run homer to left field over the Great Wall of Baltimore for a 6-3 Orioles lead. Two big insurance runs there. The homer went a projected 416 feet per stat cast. And then there's reliever Felix Batista. I mentioned the August 2nd MLB trade deadline. The O's have a number of relievers having really good seasons. And to me, it's going to be so interesting to see if the O's trade any of these relievers. I think that the O's should be very open to trading these relievers. You should almost always sell high on relievers because they are so fickle. But boy, Felix Batista has been so good this season. Uh, what is his age 27 season? The Orioles bullpen in this series was mixed, but Felix Batista over the first two games of the series was tremendous. Batista in the 7-6 loss to the Yankees on Friday night tossed a perfect top of the eighth with three strikeouts on a total of just 12 pitches. He was so dominant. Uh, his four-seam fastball velocity per stat cast was more than 100 miles per hour multiple times in the inning. And then Batista in the 6-3 win over the Yankees on Saturday night tossed a perfect top of the eighth 
with two strikeouts, including striking out a pinch-hitting John Carlos Stanton on three pitches for the third out. Batista's four-seam fastball velocity per stat cast in this inning was more than 100 miles per hour multiple times in the inning, including peaking at 101.9 miles per hour. Felix Batista is a certified flamethrower, and he is having some season. Batista now in the 2022 regular season, 41 games, 38 and two-thirds innings, ERA of 163, strikeouts per nine innings of 11.41. Next up for the O's, a four-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Monday night at 7.05. Austin Voth will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game two, Tuesday night at 7.05. Spencer Watkins will be the Orioles starting pitcher. Game three, Wednesday night at 7.05. Tyler Wells will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And game four, Thursday afternoon at 12.35, Jordan Lyles will be the Orioles starting pitcher. And the O's are entering this series five games behind the Rays for the American League's second wildcard spot. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Tuesday show, episode 362. We'll have much more for you in preparation for the start of 2022 Commanders training camp on Wednesday. I'll talk Nationals and Orioles as well. The Nats on Monday night at 10-10. We'll begin game one of a three-game series at the National League leading Los Angeles Dodgers. The O's on Monday night at 7.05. We'll begin game one of a four-game series against the Tampa Bay Rays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Reaction to that home run? <laughs> As a clown. Golly. No shame. No shame. Like, it's 7-1. You hear third homer of the year, you act like Barry Bonds breaking the record. <laughs> Clean it up. I don't care about getting up the run. Nobody, I mean, hell, we won 7-2, 8-2, whatever it was. Uh, it's, uh, frustrating that's the i'm the old grumpy guy i know but that type of stuff didn't that didn't used to happen now it's it's that's ridiculous everyone is talking about magnesium it's all you hear about but why what do we know about magnesium well magnesium is the number one mineral that 75 percent of americans are deficient in if you are a woman over 35 magnesium will help you rediscover balance energy and vitality Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.